When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, Season 10. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Dark Paranormal, Season 10, Episode 8. I can't believe that we're already only two episodes away from the end of Season 10, then we have our little downtime... And then we head right in to Season 11. Your true paranormal experiences for Season 11 have been coming in thick and fast over the last week. And although we've now technically filled each slot for Season 11, please don't let that deter you from sending in your true paranormal experience. Because if you've listened to the show long enough by now, you'll well know that we always make room for the right story. So please do still send your experiences in to thedarkparanormal at hotmail.com or alternatively you can visit our website thedarkparanormal.com and click the contact us link. Both of those methods will make sure that we'll receive your true paranormal experience to peruse for season 11 and what a season it's shaping up to be. Now I have some news. You'll recall earlier in the season... I promised an episode was upcoming, which was one of the most distressing episodes we would have ever released. Unfortunately, at the time, the submitter of the experience got in touch and asked me to not release the episode. And although I'd already promised it to you guys, I have to go with the request of the submitter of the experience. At the end of the day, this show exists and is built upon your true paranormal experiences. The key word there being your, as in personal. Therefore, if you do request me to not release or to remove an episode, I will. This is your show. And I completely understand the anxiety and bravery that comes along with submitting your own paranormal experience to be exposed to the world. However, I've been in back and forth communication with the submitter of that episode. And I'm glad to announce that we will be releasing that episode, and we're going to do so for the season finale. We've had some edit points back and forth with the submitter to make sure they're happy with the final product. And thankfully, they are. And I just know you will be too. But before we reach that season finale, we have the not-so-small matter of two amazing true paranormal experiences to get to you. And our first one, of course, is today. Death can be a very strange thing. It can be devastating, yet it can be strangely beautiful at the same time. It can bring families together, or it can throw a hand grenade into what was thought to be a closely knitted bond. 
It can also be a time of revelation, of secrets, of things being passed down. And that is the very source of today's true paranormal experience. But before we go into today's story, we need to say a big thank you to our wonderful team over at Patreon. When you sign up to our Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes both ad-free and before everyone else, but you can also receive exclusive access to our Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a show which releases each and every Sunday, even on the downtime in between seasons. And with our usual break in seasons about to come up, there truly is no better time to sign up, as not only will you continue to receive your weekly paranormal fix, but you also unlock the entire back catalogue of Dark Bites episodes, almost 50 hours worth of content for you to binge. Not only that, but you will receive the season 11 premiere before anyone else. We've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon, and we'd love to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal, just like these wonderful new team members have. D. Darby, Cecilia Logan, Bill, Rachel Newman, Sarai Medina, McKenna Rusted, Cara Slate, Tipsy Kills, Mooney, Rhonda Nunes, Celeste Urbina, Summer, Winnie Harrington, Amy Klumsky Skelton, Beckstone, Rebecca Burns, Katia Andrade, Michael E., Kayla, Delphine Charles, Alyssa Cody Garcia, Ray Smoodiver, Chelsea Bratcher, Reverend Dr. Costa Esquire, Martin, Carl Steinkopf, Lynn Allen, Gary Gallen, Stefan, Felicia Parker, Stephen Rodriguez, Tammy B., Kyle Clark, Jade Cutler, and Nicole Louise. Thank you so much for supporting the show, guys. It truly means the world. And I hope you enjoy all the early ad-free releases and, of course, those additional Dark Bites episodes. But right now, it's time to lower the lights. Make yourself comfortable. And, of course, leave your disbelief at the door. As we hear all about the Ring of Darkness. To some, this may not seem like the most terrifying of stories, but for me, it's changed my perspective on everything, on how I see everything. It was my 16th birthday, and I was on the floor, surrounded by presents, surrounded by expectant eyes of family, of friends of family, as they waited in turn to see my reaction to their gift. I was never the most confident girl, especially at that age. So, although I was extremely grateful, which I was, I was also forcing a smile on my face as I anxiously read each label and then looked up to find the gift giver in question and say thank you. Feigning excitement over t-shirts is one thing, but you quickly realise that there are only so many ways to say thank you to someone and sound authentic. By gift five, I was already repeating phrases of thanks. I've just read that back and know it sounds ungrateful, but I truly wasn't. It was just really awkward. And then I picked up the smallest of the wrapped gifts. The little tag saying, Love, Auntie Anne, with a kiss. 
Now, Auntie Anne was my nan's cousin, so technically not an auntie. Closer to a great aunt, if anything. But we called her Auntie Anne. And looking back, as I picked up the small box and read the tag, even as I looked up to find Auntie Anne and to nod a thank you, there were concerned eyes thrown her way from my grandma. Open it, darling, said Auntie Anne. I nodded as I tore open the paper to reveal an old fabric jewellery box. And you haven't, said my grandma in a serious voice to Auntie Anne. Oh, shush, replied Auntie Anne to my nan. At the time, I sincerely thought this was some really expensive piece of jewellery and that my nan's response was due to its value and the fact this heirloom was being given away to myself, albeit on my birthday. In adult life, I've found it's not unusual for such pieces to become the source of family arguments after the death of its owner. You know, promised to someone else or eyed up by two or three siblings who insist it's not about the value, it's the sentimental value. Each one with a touching personal anecdote in which the object of desire coincidentally played a pivotal part. Ignoring the semi-awkwardness caused by my nan, I opened the box carefully and saw the most beautiful jade-coloured ring. It was tiny, but it fit my left pinky perfectly, which is where I wanted it anyway. I held my arm out to appreciate it, to let the room appreciate it, Oohs and ahs filled the room as Auntie Anne smiled. My grandma didn't smile, though. Her gaze still fixed sternly on my Auntie Anne. It was your great auntie's engagement ring, my mother's. Wow, I said. It's beautiful, thank you so much. I rose and gave her a hug and quickly realised... This now meant I had to hug everyone who'd given me a gift, even the T-shirt and socks people. But this ring, this ring was special. I knew very little about Auntie Anne's mother, only that she was French and was apparently a French resistance fighter during World War II. Being a rather spiky teenager... This ring was like a full-on girl power statement piece. I spent the next few weeks researching all I could about the female French resistance in World War II, growing my attachment to the ring with every sentence I read. It's a strange thing to write, but I felt very powerful with the ring on. I would never leave the house without it, And if I accidentally did and, say, reach a bus stop and realise, I'd happily miss the hourly bus to go back and retrieve it, making me late for sixth form on several occasions. It was a cold winter's night that sparked the eventual paranormal flames that would consume this part of my life. I don't say that for effect. It was a literally freezing night. And even prior to any of this taking place, our upstairs was difficult to heat at the best of times, 
This particular night was really bad. We didn't have double glazing, and my bedroom on those nights was bitterly cold, as in, see your own breath cold. My parents were clearly brought up in tougher scenarios, though, and I recall inviting them in and showing them my breath, only for them to say, I can't see anything, and adding I just needed an extra blanket, maybe a hot water bottle, and to stop being such a dramatic baby. Thanks for the support. So I lay wrapped up in this icebox of a room. I'm probably exaggerating a bit, but I did have to almost jog my legs in bed to get some heat going. Anyway, I eventually dropped off. Now, as a family in our small two-bedroom house, we always, and I mean always, kept the landing light on of a night. It was probably some hangover from when I was a small girl, as the top of the stairs directly faced the bathroom door, and without the lights there would be a chance a groggy toddler would, well, you get the picture. Plus, I guess a light bulb is cheaper than a child gate. Anyway, the light was always on. I woke up, unaware of the time, as I was facing the opposite direction from my alarm clock. And I was warm. So I just wriggled a bit where I was and tried to get comfy again and that's when I noticed the landing light was coming into my bedroom, which I could make out vaguely from the bottom of my vision. If I could see the light, it meant my bedroom door was open. My headboard was directly under the window, and the door was the other side of the room, nearer the foot of my bed. I tilted my head down slightly, still half asleep, and could see my door was open, but only slightly. But it wasn't that realisation that made me catch my breath. It was the realisation that the door was open just enough for someone to edge themselves into the room. And someone had... I tucked my nose under the covers as I tried to catch an angle of the person with as little movement as possible. When I did, I wished that I hadn't. It was only a silhouette, mind you, but I could tell it was a dishevelled elderly lady with long straggly hair, standing with her back against my bedroom wall, as if she didn't want to be seen. But the strangest and scariest thing was how she stood. I know this will sound ridiculous, but the closest description I can give is she was stood like a cowboy, readying for a shootout. Her hands in an unnatural position, loitering by her hips, swaying slowly back and forth, and then... She took a step towards the bed. A purposeful step, as if stepping from one stone to another, trying to avoid the water beneath. That was it. I screamed at the top of my lungs and struggled to unwrap my swaddled self, 
and then my mum ran into the room. And I was so confused because my mum ran into the room. The door was shut, so it must have been a nightmare. Mum sat on the bed and consoled me as I stared at the door, trying to make sense of it all. When I noticed my mum pressing her fingers into the sheets and mattress and then rubbing her fingers. Has that water bottle leaked? she asked. Her question jolted me back into the room. I rubbed my hand under the covers, touching the rubber of the bottle. It was bone dry, but my bed wasn't. I'd clearly been so scared that I'd wet myself. Um, yeah, the bottle's leaked. Mum stared at me sympathetically, and, going along with my lie, said, Oh, dear. Well, I'll go and get some clean bedding. You put this lot downstairs and bin that water bottle. I'll get you a new one tomorrow. The next day, in sixth form, I spent my free periods in the library, continuing to read all I could about the resistance of the war, the roles women played during the war, how they replaced all the men in the factories, in all the apparent male-only roles. It was as inspiring as it was terrifying to read. I also focused on the reading to take my mind off my bigger concern, the previous night's nightmare. And the fact I'd wet the bed at sixteen, I slowly rolled my jade ring around my finger, which I realised had become my go-to anxiety move. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank account. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies, and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.
that night, complete with my brand new, if unneeded, hot water bottle, I was extra cautious about going to bed, leaving my own bedside lamp on and sliding my desk chair up against the door, along with some porcelain ornaments on the seat, my thoughts being that they would jangle or fall should somebody actually try and get in. Here's the weird thing, though. Despite the weather outside being identical to the night before, my room was actually hot. Like, as in I wanted to open a window hot. And I would have if not for the gale blowing outside. It was so hot, I slept on top of the covers, as if it were a hot summer day. This time I fell asleep on my back, completely splayed out, trying to cool as much of my body as possible. I woke around 2.35am. I know this because I awoke with my head turned at my clock this time, but that's irrelevant. The reason I was awoken is not irrelevant, though. You see, as my face was turned to the right towards my clock, something was pulling at the ring on my left hand which was dangling just off the side of the bed. I yanked my hand up and pushed myself up to the top of the headboard, giving an involuntary whimper as I did so. Whatever it was seemed to give a raspy whisper and move directly under the centre of my bed. The chair hadn't moved, and thankfully the bed was dry. But even with the lights on, I'd never been so scared in my entire life. I didn't know what to do. I couldn't call for my mum two nights on the run. She would think something was wrong with me. Plus, maybe like last night, it was just a nightmare. I checked my pinky finger, and there was dirt around the ring, as if a muddy hand had been tugging at the ring. Well, you can imagine where my thoughts went to about what was potentially under my bed waiting for me to drop off again. Well, it was out of luck, because I was staying in that position until the sun rose. And I did. I stayed there until I heard my dad whistling to the bathroom. Only then, with people awake and the sun up, did I feel safe enough to set foot off the bed, throw the chair away from the door and bend down to check under the bed. Nothing. No one. No dirt. No footprints. Maybe it was a nightmare once more. That afternoon, after classes, Mum had asked me to take some shopping round to my nan's. Just the essentials. Bread, milk, tea, that sort of thing. She always liked to make sure Nan was fully stocked. Hi, Nan. I shouted as I let myself in. We'd all had our own keys for Nan's ever since Grandad had died, and she was fine with it. I'm in the kitchen, she replied. So I walked through the living room and placed the bags on the kitchen table. Tea? she asked. Please, I said, putting away the shopping. So, how's things? said Nan. Now, I know this sounds like a normal question, but 
Well, it just wasn't how me and my nan spoke. We spoke like friends. How was school? That would be normal. Did you get the right tea bags? That would be normal. How's things? Was, well, it just wasn't my nan. So much so that I think I gave a sly smile and said in a fake voice, Great, and how's things with you? Nan smiled back as if to acknowledge it wasn't her normal way of speaking. She sat down with our two teas and said, Shut up, you. Now that was more like Nan. She kept looking at the ring as I lifted the cup to my mouth. Do you not find that thing cumbersome on my finger? I shook my head. No, not, not really. I said, spinning it round with my thumb. Nan was really quiet. Unusually so. Then I remembered the way she looked at Auntie Anne at my birthday party. Is there something about this ring you're not telling me? I asked. Well, she jumped at that. Why, what's happened? Her reaction startled me. No, it, it scared me. Nothing? I lied. Why? Should something have happened? What's the story with this ring, Nan? Nan settled back down and took a long sip of her tea. Did you want it or something? I asked. Nan pulled a no-way face and shook her head. I don't even like that thing being in this house, she half laughed. Hey, I half smiled back. No, not you, love, she smiled, reaching out and rubbing my hand. But that ring, she nodded. It was my auntie's engagement ring. But the fella she was engaged to ended up dying. But she kept the ring. She took another sip of her tea. Well, that's not that weird, is it? I asked. Oh, no. But this fella, the fiancé. Well, let's just say, apparently he made his money selling things. Still not seeing the bigger picture here, I said, And what's wrong with that? Well, began Nan. My mum said the things he would sell, well, he'd take them from the dead. She took another sip of her tea, whilst I digested that first piece of information, thumbing the ring around and around. She continued, Any resistance members found would be rounded up and shot on sight. Apparently, he'd make a note of who'd been captured, go to each of their stash boxes and take what he could, before returning to see if the bodies had been moved, and if not, he'd scavenge the corpses for anything left. I gulped, feeling out of my depth. So, are you saying this ring is from someone who was murdered? Nan just shrugged. Everyone denies it. But me and my mum, we had our suspicions. I thumbed the ring faster and faster, staring off into space, deciding whether I should tell my nana about the apparent nightmares I'd had, when she said, Anne's brother hated that thing. He said it was cursed. 
He said he once walked into Anne's bedroom and saw the back of some grey-haired woman in a dirty burial shroud, picking through Anne's jewellery box. He shouted, Oi! And she just fell through the floor. Nan raised and dropped her hand to mimic the movement of the woman, who sounded all too similar to... Sod it, I'm going to tell her. Nan, I had a dream. Well, a nightmare. Where I think I've seen the same woman. Nan's arm paused as the cup reached her lips, and she slowly put the cup back down. Just give her it back, love, said my Nan. What? I can't give a gift back. I almost laughed. Nan shook her head. Not a smile across her face. That is not a gift, love. It's a curse. She finished her tea. That night, I debated giving Auntie Anne the ring back, thinking how I would go about it, how I could phrase it. Oh, it's far too nice. Or, it's reacting with my skin. Or, well, it turned out it would all be pointless anyway. As the next day, my mum informed me Auntie Anne had passed away through the night. I started leaving the ring off. For the first few days, I felt naked without it. Especially if I was anxious and would end up just scratching my pinky with my thumbnail. But then Auntie Anne's funeral came around. The night before was the wake. I came down to meet my mum and dad... As we were about to set off, she said, You should wear that ring she gave you. I I don't want to, I muttered back to my mum. Don't be daft, it's nice to show some respect. I think it would be disrespectful not to. Well, that's nonsense, I thought. But turned around and headed upstairs. I'll nip the loo whilst you're doing that, said mum. I picked up the ring and put it on the opposite pinky thing. I instantly felt faint. But not in an ill way. More like I wasn't there. Like I was invisible. And then I started hearing whispers in my ears. Angry whispers. I took the ring off and threw it to the floor, just as Mum came out of the toilet. Oi, what are you playing at? She said. I realised how it looked. Stroppy teenager launching things across the house. But tried my best to explain what had just happened when I put the ring on. I ran over and picked it up. Here, you put it on and see. I said, forcing it onto my mum's right hand little finger. I stood back. What's meant to be happening? Asked mum angrily. Just wait, I said. Mum let out a sigh of exasperation and finally just pulled the ring off, forced it into my palm and said, you're wearing that bloody ring. I placed it on my left hand, the usual hand it had been on bef- I looked up and mum had fallen about four steps down the stairs before reaching out for the banister. She turned around sharply. Did you just- But she could tell, based on where I was, there was no way I could have touched her and got back to where I was so quickly. Were you pushed? I asked. Mum didn't reply. She just looked, 
confused at the steps she'd taken from my room to the top of the staircase. It's this ring, I said, tapping it with each word. Mum snapped out of it. Don't be daft. Downstairs, now. We're already late as it is. We headed over to Nan's for the wake. Wakes are a horrid affair. I've never understood them. There was Auntie Anne, laid out under the back living room window, the coffin lid propped against the wall. Family all sniffling, some whispering their goodbyes and stroking her hair as she lay in the coffin, others leaning in and kissing her on the forehead. I found the whole thing bordering on traumatising, and the ring must have done about 50 rotations on my finger. So much so, it started to hurt. Completely forgetting the earlier experience, I removed the ring and placed it on the opposite pinky finger. The priest then arrived. Apparently this was a thing too. He would say a few prayers and then join in a drink or two for the deceased, before leaving everyone to get as drunk as they damn well pleased. And then I heard it. Just one whisper and not unintelligible like earlier. This was clearly whispered English. Walk over, spit in her face as she lays there. As horrific as that sounds, here's the thing. It didn't sound horrific at the time. It sounded like the most normal thing in the world to do. I wasn't, as I was earlier, in any way concerned that I was hearing this voice. If anything, it gave me that sort of pang of power that I'd first felt when I put the ring on. I even started walking towards the coffin, building up saliva in my mouth. When the priest cleared his throat and my dad's hand reached out and touched my shoulder, as if to tell me to stand still like everyone else was, whilst the priest said his prayers over the body. So I stopped, swallowed, and listen to the priest. This is the thing. None, and I mean none of this, felt weird. Each and every activity was as autonomous as washing your hands or scratching an itch. I literally paid it no mind. The priest closed his prayer book. It wasn't a Bible. It was something specific for these occasions. He then began to talk about his knowledge of Auntie Anne and her help for the church over the years, and I began giggling. You know that feeling when you get the giggles and everything and anything can set you off? Well, that was me, in front of my Auntie Anne's corpse, surrounded by my grieving relatives. My nan noticed quickly and slowly but forcefully led me out to the front garden, As soon as we were outside, I stopped giggling and became immediately aware of how inappropriate it was. I was mortified at myself. I quickly swapped the ring back to the other finger. Nan lit a cigarette and, looking straight ahead, she blew the smoke out of her nose and said, I don't know what was going on in there, but I see you've still got that ring on. Do you want to give it to me and I'll get rid of it? I instinctively shook my head. 
Okay, she said, stubbing out her cigarette. But if or when that changes, let me know. Because that little scene of yours in there wasn't you, she said, nodding towards the living room. I'd never been scolded by my nan before, but this felt like I was being. But she was right, because in that room, as that priest spoke, that wasn't me. I was someone else. It was as if, and if any of this doesn't sound mad enough just yet, this part will, but it felt as if I had the ring on one finger. She was outside of me, trying to get at the ring, and if I changed it to the opposite finger, she, well, she took over me. Make sense of that one? I certainly can't. That month, the unthinkable happened. Nan went for what we assumed was a routine chest x-ray and was told she was riddled with cancer. She acted like she expected the news, like the news verified how she'd been feeling. She was given weeks at best and was hospitalised immediately whilst they waited for a hospice bed. I was crestfallen. She was my second mum, and I couldn't wrap my head around the fact that she was beyond medical help, and we were just expected to accept that without a fight. As an adult, I know now that this is just how life plays out. What's that saying? Man plans, God laughs. I visited the hospital every afternoon whilst we awaited the hospice bed. But then, one afternoon... I arrived and the bed was surrounded by doctors and nurses. Nan was in and out of consciousness. I asked what's going on and a kindly nurse took me to one side and advised my Nan had maybe hours to live at best. She said she was about to call the rest of the family to come in and say their goodbyes. I pulled up a chair and the medical staff gave consoling faces and half pulled the curtain around as I sobbed and held my Nan's hand, rubbing the back of it with my thumb. Nan regained consciousness slightly and smiled at me. I thought she was trying to stroke the back of my hand in return, but she slowly and gently tapped the ring on my pinky finger, very slowly shook her head, and with her other hand, which was laying on her chest, she tapped herself. Oh, mum, came my mum's voice from the door as family started piling in. A few hours later, we got the confirmation that she had passed on. I'd never known a feeling like it. Even now, there's a pit in my stomach as I think of her. Then there was the wake and funeral to attend to. And the night before the wake... I had my final paranormal experience to date. My nan came to visit me in my dream. She was silent. She stepped out of a deep blackness, walked over to me and removed the ring from my finger. She then walked over to a coffin and placed the ring inside. I woke up, fighting for breath, 
gasping for air. The wake took place at my Aunt Linda's house, and this time I joined the queue of people wishing to say their personal goodbyes. When it got to my turn, I was shocked. Shocked at how alive she looked, how beautiful she looked. It was as if she could sit up at any moment, climb out and put the kettle on. Of course, sadly, that wasn't going to happen. I leant in to kiss her on the forehead and whispered, Thank you, I love you, in her ear, as I dropped the ring silently into a crevice of the casket. The following day, we lay my beautiful Nan and that horrific ring to rest. And to this day, I've not encountered anything even slightly paranormal. However, I still do get a slight chill down the spine if I see a jade ring. Just in case. Just in case it somehow managed to escape its final resting place. Such an outstanding true paranormal experience there from one of our listeners, and it certainly makes me think, as we've thought many times before, about what can attach itself to items that we hold dear. I often stand in wonder outside pawn shops looking at the jewellery within and thinking of the backstory behind each and every item that's on display. The vows made and broken the smiles and tears as objects were given or thrown back in someone's face, surely these emotional outbursts must in some way imprint themselves on the item itself. In fact, the psychic practice of psychometry relies on that as an actual thing. The idea that the jewellery we wear or the items we hold dear take in part of our very being. It's yet another mystery that we hopefully one day will have an answer to. But that wraps up episode 8 of season 10 of The Dark Paranormal. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for another episode of Dark Bites. And for everyone, I'll see you next week for our penultimate episode of season 10. Until then, remember, when you're discussing the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll see you next time for episode 9 of The Dark Paranormal. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.